Ever thought about a career in musical theater? Ever wondered about the life of an international star of the theater? Hmm, have I got an episode for you. (laughs) Hello, this is Judy Rodman. You're listening to All Things Vocal Podcast. This is the audio version of the blog you can find at judyrodman.com. Sidani Smith is a multilingual leading lady in demand internationally as a stage actress, vocalist, and violinist. She starred in hit musicals such as Sister Act, Jekyll and Hyde, and Jesus Christ Superstar the world over for the past decade. Go to her About page at her website, sidonismith.com, and you'll find a comprehensive list of international hit musical productions that she's performed in. She's also an orchestral composer and arranger. I love the fact that this woman whose star credits go on for days has also chosen the role of mentor. Offstage, she's a mindset mastery coach for other theater artists, supporting them practically in their pursuits to become the strongest versions of themselves, mind, spirit, and body. So you'll understand how honored I am to have her on this podcast. Without further ado, here's the interview. Welcome, Sidani Smith, to All Things Vocal. Thank you so much. So in Nashville, it's noon. Where are you and what time is it in the world? I am talking to you from Berlin, Germany, and it is seven in the evening. <laughs> it's amazing. I love the functionality where we can connect anytime, but boy, thanks for staying up. <laughs> <laughs> I want to dive right into something serious here. There's a lot of starting over happening now and people thinking that they've fallen to the bottom of the well, especially creatives. You have developed a life of your dreams from that place of zero. So, Can you share some of your story and give us some of your strategies to not only survive, but prosper? Absolutely. Before I jump into my story, I just want to start with the encouragement that it is so normal to start over. I think somehow, be it the American dream or the way we read history or the way we uh, look up to people that we um, are inspired by, we have this feeling sometimes that it is a failure to start over when we're actually seeing people's try number seven sometimes. <laughs> actually, oh gosh, yes. Yeah. What's being written about is usually try number 400 and that's where we catch up. You know, we, we entered the story at that point. So it's so normal to be starting over and it's actually an asset because we know more with every try. So in my case, I grew up playing in professional orchestras. I was an orchestra kid. I play violin and viola and I went to university on a viola scholarship. And when I was a senior, I just felt the call. I just knew that I needed to try theater um, and it made no sense because I hadn't actually or song or anything, hadn't danced, and I was, you know, already 20. <laughs> but uh, in order to pursue this dream, I needed to relinquish my scholarship so that I could uh, oh my just redo God. my curriculum. Gosh. Exactly. I didn't, um, I, I couldn't fit everything into my schedule. I couldn't be in the orchestras and the ensembles and take the lessons that were required of me while, you know, practicing my new trade, so to speak. And so I had to give up my scholarship and I went down to the um, dean's office and people were very disappointed, but I just knew that I was doing the exact right thing. And so I went through with it and I um, didn't turn back. And at that point, I had been doing really, really well in my program. That's why people were disappointed. They were thinking, you know, I was throwing away my life. But sometimes starting over is the best thing you can do. 
once again, a, a big fast forward, I got invited to study at a conservatory in Germany mm-hmm. and school was starting in just a couple of weeks. <laughs> I can tell you the, the long version or the short version, but the short version is school was starting in a couple of weeks and I would have to move and just start over and start school in German, in Germany. And I, I did, I got here and I really, I couldn't read. You know, I was taking classes in German that I used to teach four weeks ago because I didn't, I did not know how to explain music theory in German. And so it really, it was the epitome of starting over. <laughs> you have got some brave genes. I've started over a lot in my career, but it's because I hit brick walls. Mm. You invented brick walls. I mean, you stopped yourself. I like to say that I am masterful at finding the open doors. <laughs> um, so I may not have found walls, but when I see an open door and perceive that it's mine, I walk. I pick up a bag, you know, maybe two, probably just one, and I walk through it. And so a lot of the big, you know, my big breaks have been me just uh, seizing opportunities of a lifetime, knowing the risk involved, knowing um, that people would think it was insane. But yeah, just walking through. You really deeply listen to your own driver, don't you? I do. And too few people do it. Okay, well then, let's go on and get present day here and talk about quarantine creativity. (laughs) How have your open doors and windows and and plans changed in this pandemic where uh, things are just not the same? Well, I like to innovate, um, but I also like to feel really productive. And so this lockdown came at a time where I was gearing up to be super productive and it just kind of knocked me into a chair and I thought, okay, uh, this is something that I can't control. (laughs) In fact, it is not the worst thing in the world for me to not be so super productive all the time. I don't have to drive my, my energy and my worth from being, you know, the ticker of boxes, checking things off all the time. And so I had a couple jobs, some, some dream jobs that came close to coming through and then everything shut down. And I took, I took a week off you know, from trying to save the world and and make a million bucks and change a thousand (laughs) lives. And I took a week off and I sat still. And there's so much, one of my, one of my mentors has really encouraged me that there's a lot of doing in the sitting still. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Not not being distracted by devices or other people's ideas. I love other people, but it's hard to hear yourself when you're listening to Mm -hmm. everybody all the time and reading their comments and, you know, and just um, consuming, consuming everybody else's uh, thoughts. So I took a week off and I started to respond to some things that I've always wanted to do more of. I had always coached. I had always done motivational speaking. um, And I started to think, "Mm, how can I expand this? I don't know how long this lockdown is going to be. This is something that brings me as much joy as working on stage. I don't know when stages are opening up. Broadway, New York was looking really bad. I think we'll get to it, but um, Germany has really fared well in um, the pandemic. And so I think things are gonna be opening back up here soon, but there was no indication of that in April. We had no idea. But I I started to write again. And I started to write about creativity and I started to reach out to my community that was really suffering. I had a lot of colleagues that were just on the cusp of the dream, had just landed the role. And who knows, 
there's going to be, if producers are going to be behind that project when things open up again, we just don't know. But I started writing to them and I started to really plug my services. I started to coach full time, full, full time because I wasn't playing eight shows a week. And, um, and I started to think about how I could make this work uh, in my life when I am playing eight shows a week because I do love it that much. Um, so we find that we creatives, we tie up a lot of who we are and what we do which um, is only natural, mm -hmm. but sometimes that's limiting because we're not just vocalists. We're not, we are innovators, we're creatives. We make creativity means we make something out of nothing. And we really had nothing. <laughs> there, there was a time in my life when nothing was working. You know, usually there's something working <laughs> of the many hats <laughs> that you can wear. And I had to discover who I was without success in the arts. And I had to learn that that is what I do, and it's very much a part of me, but it doesn't define me. And if I lost it all tomorrow, the importance of my life, with the value that I can give, that's not necessarily connected to the arts. So the funny thing is that learning that frees us for success in the arts, because then absolutely we're not afraid of losing it anymore. And the more that we can create art without fear, the more excellent yeah. it is, I find. Agreed. Oh, I love that. That really encourages me because, you know, we've all come up, <laughs> we've all had those thoughts in the dark where we think, oh man, I, I heard of a colleague who lost their voice or or had, you know, uh, tore their ACL. What, what if something like that would happen to me? Now, God forbid, that's not the kind of thing that we want to happen in our lives, but you would still be, still be so, so valuable. You know, even if, there was lockdown and nobody could perform anywhere, you could, you would still be valuable. You are separate from the art that you do. All right. Well, we've already talked a little bit about your, your courage, but you are on purpose an influencer. Tell us how you feel about the responsibility to speak your truth and how that can be a brave and even dangerous calling. I love this topic because um, I am an introvert. <laughs> through and through and through and through, four times. <laughs> um, and so even though I'm brave, I am introverted. And even though I'm introverted, I'm brave. I think that is something that I have learned really resonates with my audience because growing up, I was always getting confirmation that my personality wasn't enough, that I wasn't loud enough, boisterous enough, 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 funny enough, all of these things. And so uh, I knew that my circle would never expect me to be on a stage. <laughs> you know, they're still kind of scratching their heads at how that happened. But something in me knew that my voice was strong, even if it was soft. Yeah. And I find that many great creators really are introverts. And I also feel like it's a superpower. And that's one of my favorite things to, to share on the internet about how to make introversion your, your superpower. First of all, you have to rethink the way you've been taught that it's not, it doesn't make you less than, you know, it's not something to overcome. I feel like shyness has to do with fear. And that's something that I want to overcome daily. Um, but my introversion is a superpower. It's a gift. You know, I'm an actress. I listen for half of my money, like half of my paycheck comes from paying attention. Yeah. So using my voice on the internet most recently, and this is very, very current, I spoke out about a production of Hair the Musical 
And listener, if you're not familiar with Hair the Musical, it's a sexy 70s um, hippie tribal love rock musical Mm -hmm. um, about diversity. It's um, about the Vietnam-American War. We're moving into the civil rights movement. And this production was cast completely white, 100% white. And I I live in Germany. But if you have, if you've never lived in the, um, or worked in the market here, it's diverse. It is so incredibly diverse. And there's, <laughs> there's no, there's no reason to tell a story that you can't really tell. But if you can, you better call the people who can. So I, you know, with my knees quaking, got online and I said, Hey friends, I know that uh, people are seeing there is a completely non-diverse cast <laughs> of hair about to open in the summer. And I also took a big risk in revealing that I had applied for it and they ignored me. And you know, I've been in this industry for so long that it's not to say that everyone, you should know who I am. It doesn't matter, just Google. You know, If I send you my information like any other normal audition, right. Google me. And so there's, there was no excuse of, oh man, you know, we couldn't find anybody or oh man, you know, mm-hmm. the, the people of color here don't speak German. I do, I speak German fluently and without accent. And so do so many people of color here and they're amazing. You know, I had to really point out that besides being kind of, you know, the normal disappointment of not getting a role, I thought, it's not about me. Why didn't you call one of my colleagues? There's so many, so many people. So I knew at that moment when I pushed post that I was putting myself at odds with a theater, with a powerful theater in Germany, that that they could say that I was lying, which I was not, because I do not, (laughs) and Mm -hmm. that I might never work with him. And I thought, that's okay have to come to that place. And I think you hit upon a very important point too. When we do decide to do something that is uncomfortable, if we do it because it's not only something we need to do for ourselves, but to change something, not just for for your benefit, but for the world's benefit, really. Oh yeah. Then you just take a deep breath and go, don't you? I do. And I, I was really blown away by the reception, by the feedback, because it is not my intention to damage a theater. That is the last thing that I want to do. And that was not my intention. That's what came through. And I'm so thankful that people heard me, you know, it reached them the way I really was. And great turn events. I, I received personal apology from the theater and they made a public apology as well. And I'm actually going to be in the show. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, I was completely prepared for them to not want to have anything to do with me. And I thought, you know, so be it, because this has to be said, because I I am speaking the truth and it's really, really important. So yes, uh, our voices do have power, even when you're nervous. I was sick over it the night before. I thought I was going to post it that night before and my stomach was in knots and I thought, okay, I'm going to go to bed and <laughs> wait for a moment of clarity to do this thing. Um, and it is, I mean, this was one week ago. This was last Saturday. So we're, we're not talking about some brave thing I did in the 90s. This was wow. the other day. But it's, it's worth it. Even if you don't see, you know, a viral response and then you get an apology, it's still worth it because the truth is worth it. And it's good for them, too. I mean, that's the thing. Uh, all right. Let's go into what I'm going to call the inner room here. Tell us a little bit about your experience in high-level theater and what's what's been one of your favorite roles? Oh, there's so many. I love the ones that I get to visit throughout my career. What I mean by that, um, the one I'm thinking of is 
Dolores Van Cartier, Sister Mary Clarence in Sister Act, because <laughs> let's see, that was one of my first big roles in 2011. I did that in Austria. And then a couple of years later, I did it in Germany. And a couple of years ago, I reprised it one more time in the premiere of Sister Act in Switzerland. And it's a comedic role. And I, I, if you'd asked me, you know, and I had no time to think about it, I wouldn't jump out of bed and say, I'm the funniest actress on the planet. But as I have learned to, um, learned that I don't have anything to prove to anyone, I become more and more hilarious if I do say so myself. The last time, the last time I played Sister Act, which you can imagine is basically three hours of stand-up in a, in a nun's habit um, and, and belting, stand-up and belting. The last time I was really, for lack of a better term, over it in the best way, over it in the way that I was like, I am not concerned about what you think of me. And it was the funniest. <laughs> the funniest um, production I've ever played of Sister Act. I loved it. What role has been a little bit frustrating? Oh man, um, they definitely all have their challenges. Um, I did the bodyguard for three years and uh, that was so where um, there are two, two leads. There's the, you know, the Whitney Houston part that we know from the movie. And then in the musical, the sister role, Nikki is um, expanded and really it's a beautiful role. I, I think it, I preferred playing Nikki mm -hmm. to Rachel, which is the role that Whitney played in the movie. And so my position there was walk in. And so I played either lead. I never knew what, what I was on for. Oh my gosh. Sometimes it would change, you know, I would get a phone call during the day that I was suddenly on for the lead or I'm switching. And I also had instances where in the middle of the show, if, you know, if someone went down, I, I would be in the theater with my hair, you know, under a, <laughs> under a stocking cap and full makeup. You know, I look like I could, <laughs> I could step onto a Las Vegas stage, but sitting behind my laptop doing whatever work for my business. Um, and they would, you know, I'd start to hear, and first I would hear silence. Silence is not good because <laughs> the show should be running. And for the PA, I'm like, that's too quiet. And I'm waiting for three, two, sit down. Can you please come? Here? Yes, I can. I'll be there. <laughs> no pressure. All right. Though. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. People that uh, go out for musical theater, you really have to be able to work, don't you? At any point. Yeah. yeah. Long hours, rehearsals, and long hours, always being ready. And, you know, I did do a lot of jumping in in that show. There was definitely time. I actually had a colleague get injured on stage and I had to step over her stretcher to get into position, to get into her position. And this is not like a, she wasn't, it was, you know, an ankle injury. I didn't know that though. Yeah. All I knew is that she was writhing and this is my colleague, someone that I love oh, and I am getting I'm going on mid-show. You know, I'm like, where are we? This is the kitchen scene. So you stepped over her stretcher. Not knowing if she was okay or not. Wow. The show had to go on. And in this instance, they did not stop the show. And some, you know, if something dangerous happens, they will make an announcement. But she was off stage. I think she must have slipped exiting. And they called me in, put me in the wig, and like had to take her mic. And I didn't even know, I didn't know if she was okay. I had no idea. Um, they made the announcement in intermission that, you know, in the role of, you know, you'll be seeing Sidani Smith, um, but they didn't stop the show. And I, you know, I, I will not forget having to step over a human being that I work with and love. Uh, <laughs> only figuratively, only figatively. Oh my God. Oh my God. 
There was a there was a time in, in when I was on the road as an artist, and I had the stomach flu, and so I got dehydrated, and I passed out in the middle of the show. And uh, so they oh. took me out on a stretcher and my son, my small seven-year-old son was in the bus and he's watching me, his mother being, you know, put in an ambulance from a stretcher. <laughs> he's thinking I'm dead. And it's just, I, I passed out because of dehydration. And of course you get to the hospital and they oh, think you're yeah. doing drugs and all that kind of stuff. And it's wild that, you know, so after they figured out what it was, they just said, you know, I need Gatorade. So I took like four quarts of Gatorade during the night and the next day, went ahead and did a show in the next in the next town so it's like the show must go on sometimes even when you don't really it's like we look back and you wonder how in the world you did it but yeah stepping over a colleague's uh, uh stretcher i have not done that yet <laughs> i don't recommend it <laughs> all right well let's talk about some vocal stuff okay what are your tips and tricks and superstitions about what to do right before you go on stage when you have to use your speaking and singing voice? Well, one of the wild cards that I have is that I perform mostly in German. So I do a lot of work warming up my articulators. Tongue tanglers in German? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, we definitely work with a lot more consonants and a lot more consonant blends. Oh, can you do one? Can you do one? Consonant blends? Oh, man. Let's see. I went to an audition recently where the first thing I said was, Ich bin aus einem reichen Haus, doch leider, leider blieben die Söhne aus, als älteste Tochter hatten und ich den Pater in unserer Schicht und Pflichten wart. That kind of, like, that kind of, yeah. That could be a disaster yeah. if I tried it. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, that's not warmed up, but I would slow it down. I would do the chord technique and I would make sure that every, you know, a line like, unsere Schicht und Pflichten wart, everyone is hearing every consonant. Wow. Let's see. Um, I love making sure that if I am in a long contract singing a lot of pop, that I'm warming up singing a lot of classical music. You know what? I did too. I did too. Before my country concerts, I warmed up with the 24 Italian songs with some of them. Exactly. In the back of the bus. I'm um, or if I'm living, you know, if I'm living in my low register for right. some reason right. or the opposite, you know, I'm I'm just staying really, really supple and 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 flexible. It's mm -hmm. like it's like kind of doing like yoga every day, like making sure uh, I'm not only stretching my right leg because really, you know, one of these days you're gonna have to use the left one again. <laughs> yeah, the coordination. Yeah. Plus, I want to be a whole instrument. Right, your belt is gonna be difficult and strained if you your head voice isn't involved a little bit. And if I if I find that I'm having trouble, you know, just kind of having an off day. Uh, with my belt, mm -hmm. I will always approach it more classically and just wake wake up my resonators in that way. I um, I love to listen to excellent vocalists. Uh, that's something that I've done since I started singing. Uh, I'm not a snob, but I know how I want to sing. You know, not just what I want to sound like, but how I want to sing. And so people who produce healthily are my soundtrack to life. That's exactly what I would do too. After I would warm up with the classical songs or something in the back of the bus, I would listen to like Barbara Streisand and Sandy Patty and definitely not share. You know, I mean, I, I would listen to a bell-like voice, Tiri Takanawa, the classical mm -hmm. singer. Yeah. And my vocal cords would go, ah. Yes. Because we understand each other. The sympathy, it's really fascinating how we're built. Yeah. Because I mean, I do it 
you know, on a good day, but certainly on a day where I'm like, I didn't sleep enough, mm-hmm. or maybe I've started my cycle and I can feel it in my voice and I feel a little bit, you know, heavy there. I listen to people who produce beautifully, just healthy vocals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is a game changer. Oh, and I should say, my favorite to listen to is Audra McDonald. I love her. Okay, I may have to add her to my list. <laughs> Do you have a tip for performing when you're really stressed out or upset about something, you know, because the show, as we've said before in this interview, must go on. Um, I find that breath is everything. It's another one of those gifts that we've been given that is the most simple, yet it's a lifesaver, you know, because I live in the world of personal development and mindset. I'm never trying to bury something. I, if, if I don't have time to deal with something, I, am, I have every intention of getting back to it ASAP, but I do have a job to do. So you park it. Yes, I park it. I put it on a shelf that I can reach. <laughs> you know, I don't bury it under the earth where I won't be able to find it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I breathe myself calm, breathe myself calm. And I always find um, help in focusing on my partner and my objective. And when I say partner, it doesn't have to be that I have you know, someone in the scene with me. Sometimes my scenes are by myself and the partner, it, it could be a prayer. It could be to myself in the mirror. Could, I always have some one, some one thing that you're talking to. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Who am I talking to? And I focus there. I know without a shadow of a doubt that I know every single word of this show. And so if that comes up, you know, what if you forget the court? I know it. I ask myself, what's the first line? Mm-hmm. because they're all together. It's all glued together. The first line needs to you need the second and eventually the curtain call. Like, so that I don't have to worry about that. I know the first line, which means I know the next three hours. Let's do this. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you about how you help your performers with stage anxiety. And you're already starting to tell us, aren't you, breathing and mindset. What are some other tips that you could share with us that have helped your clients well, I have to say that we are such brave humans to do what we do because <laughs> whenever you um, Google lists of biggest fears in the world, often you'll find that public speaking comes before death. People would rather die <laughs> than do what we do willingly. And so uh, there's there's nothing to be ashamed of if, if you get a little bit of a, you know, a butterfly feeling in your stomach before standing before a few thousand people and uh, singing a song. It's totally okay. Uh, and you're the brave one amongst us, actually. <laughs> but my favorite thing to do is ask my clients, why? Why do you feel afraid and when? And that's where we can start. Mm-hmm. Because if you're, if you're drowning in the emotion of it and you don't have a moment or you don't take the moment to analyze where it's coming from, there's really no way to get back in the boat. So asking yourself why and when, for example, does this happen every time I get to the second to last song because it has that one note that sits really, really (laughs) oddly in my voice? Or is it because I feel a little bit intimidated by the person that I'm playing with or someone in the house or, you know, what is it? Because that's the only way we can move on from there. If, if I say, well, just don't be nervous. That's not good advice. That doesn't help anybody. <laughs> yeah. Just don't feel. Hey, don't feel. <laughs> um, hey, don't feel. But if you, if you identify 
why you're feeling it and if it's too hard to figure out why if you can take note of when it's it comes in is it the night before is it just be you know is it just before they're gonna toss you in the air because you know you're getting over a fear of heights um there are so many things um that could be causing it yeah yeah be causing it. Um, and so I am the <laughs> I am the little voice that helps you work through those things and, and helps you find the tools that will help you calm down in the you know five seconds you have, but also that really, really build your mindset mm -hmm. to remind you who you are. So these things come up less and less and you feel much more much more like the captain of your own ship. You know, when those things come up, yeah. we think, okay, this is normal. I know this feeling. I don't like it. I know that I've played through it before, but I'm playing through it better and better and better. And so these are the things that we find together. I use mm -hmm. my tools and expertise and we meld them together and find something that is like a self-hack for you oh. because we're all different. We learn differently. You know, we internalize things differently. That's the kind of coaching I do one-on-one -on -one with people, talking them through their stage fright and anxiety, and also about um, body issues on stage, because that really, really comes into play. Body image is waving at us in every area of our lives, especially if we stand in front of people for a living. Sure. I still tell people that there are three ways to impact an audience, and that's musically, visually, and lyrically. And they have to have all three. But visually, what I mean by that is body language. Like, are you communicating? And uh, boy, you're so right that, you know, from, from models being anorexic to singers being anorexic because they think they're supposed to be thinner than anybody else can be a real, uh, a real trap. So I'm so glad to know that you deal with body image issues. Okay, so I want to ask you about the future of theater. What do you see around the bend? And I, I say that knowing that actually nobody can see completely around the bend yet because there's an unknown looming uh, as far as how long this, uh, this is going to last when people don't want to come and fill a venue where there are live performers on stage. What are, are you, uh, what are you seeing for the future of theater? And you know, what advice would you give people that are looking at theater for a career? This is my best guess. First of all, I see a lot of authenticity. I see people talking out loud about uh, what it has cost them mm -hmm. to be successful on the branch before. I see people realizing that honesty is also professional. And I appreciate that because for a long time, it just wasn't appropriate, I'm putting in air quotes, to talk about the auditions you've lost or talk about the role that you felt too fat for. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, talk about things that are real issues that we have all been having that we didn't share with one another. And I really see, I feel like these last couple of years plus Corona has just blown the lid off of that. And people are sharing their struggles. They're sharing about, you know, waves of depression. They're sharing about how difficult success has been, how difficult quote unquote failure can be. And I definitely see much more of that. What I would love to see in the United States in particular is a lot more love and respect for the amazing regional houses um, that are all over the country. Because yeah. the Broadway houses, I don't know when we're gonna be allowed to fill them. Mm -hmm. And it has never been the case that there was no talent outside of New York City. That has never been the case. I mean, mm -hmm. anybody who's been to New York knows that the people on the subway deserve an encore and a million bucks. Like, you know, people, you know, with their cups out are just like, what? Nashville with songwriters and guitar players. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
all over the country, there is brilliant theater happening. And I think that there is a really great potential for some of these houses that can innovate, that can seat people farther apart to maybe not only, not only to showcase some of the talent that is based outside of the city, but to have New York City kind of trickle all over the, why not? Mm-hmm. Right. Why not? Broadway is not just a street. Broadway right. is an art form. You know, it's something that connects us and it's something that's being done well, not only in New York, not only in the United States, but all over the world. You know, the shows that I've done right. here have been the Broadway shows, translated, transplanted, directed by the same directors with the same set design, same costume design. Really, if you plug your ears, watching The Lion King in Hamburg, and didn't know they were speaking German and Zulu, you wouldn't realize that it's not the same show in New York where they speak English and Zulu. It really is, the international theater community is excellent. Um, and so I am, I'm seeing people innovate. I'm seeing just a boom in regional theater in the United States. That's, you know, when I say I'm seeing, that's what I hope to see. And just people being authentic, being a little bit more, honest because it can only help us all. All right. May it come to pass. I think it's a great idea. All right, Sidani, what do you have coming up and where can we find you in your services? The best place to find me is always Instagram. I I live there. I, I, moved, I moved my bags there years ago. <laughs> if you're interested in musical motivational speaking, that's where to book me. I definitely can connect you with my PR team that uh, hopefully can start booking me for live events again, because I love motivational speaking mixed together with the talents that make me who I am, with violin playing, with singing, with dancing. And I really look forward to moving that from the online space, from the online summits, um, which I still am excited about, but getting on stage in that way. So if you're interested in booking me that way, say hi to me on Instagram and I'll get you in touch with my team. I also can be found on sedanismith.com and that's how you get in touch with me and find out more about coaching opportunities. What I'm on coaching is my heart. And so uh, hopefully we can connect that way. And I'll put all of these links in the podcast notes. So never fear, you can click a link. All right. Well, this has been just fascinating journey to go into your world. So thank you. And Godspeed in everything you're doing out there creatively and in mentoring others. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right. That sums it up for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed this chat with the awesome Sidani Smith. This is Judy Rodman, your host, and you can always find me at my website, judyrodman.com. If you want to support what I'm doing here, please give me a review or rating at ratethispodcast.com slash ATV. See you next time for All Things Vocal, the podcast for singers, speakers, vocal coaches, and studio producers. And that includes musical theater people.